Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pendulum Show. Thank you for tuning in to the second part or part two of our episode on identity politics. Is it good or bad for progress in society? We apologize, it took quite a while to release the second part, but you know that was a bad jam on the way to this point. And yeah, I'm sticking to the story. So uh, picking up from where we left off, we have Miss Hannah Reshma unpacking the issue with us together as we come from many different angles, opinions as well on the issue. And we, we learn together on the issue itself. And I believe we all learned a lot. So hopefully this is also an enlightful conversation for you to have. And we're just going to get right into it. So hope you enjoy it. In, in America as well, right? Like, if you look at the American presidential election, right? Joe Biden said he's going to choose a woman. Uh, as he he right at the start he said, "I'm going to choose a woman as my VP candidate." I mean, yeah, they're sort of appealing to the identity politics uh, crowd, right? Like, uh, you are, uh, and not only like did he choose a a woman, he chose a a woman who is uh, both African American and uh, Asian American, actually, mm, right? Indian yeah. American. Right, so it's uh, kind of intersectional, right? Because there are different oppressions associated with all these three different identities, which which yes. uh, converge in Kamala Harris, and she uh, uses this rhetoric a lot. Like she she talks a lot about her lived experience as you know uh, a child of a mother who came from India at eighteen years old, a black woman trying to make uh, uh, make a way in the legal world and then in politics, and yeah, yeah so that rhetoric is is mainstream definitely on the on the left. Would you agree with that? That, that identity sure. is more mainstream on the left than on the right. I think it's just more noticeable on the left. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's more mainstream on the left than it is on the right. I think it's mainstream in both. But mm-hmm. we notice it more on the left because that's also how we've come to understand it. Mm-hmm. When we read yeah. about it, when we were introduced to it, it's like this left ideology. You know, it's yeah. this, it's, we understand identity, like I said just now, we ident- we understand identity politics to be used when people are trying to claim their rights. But yeah. what we don't often think about is how identity politics is used to maintain rights and oppress rights. Because right. that's how the right uses it. But that's not how we have been like conditioned to understand it. So I wouldn't say it's mainstream more on one side than the other. I think it's yeah. well embedded, well streamed in yeah. both not, the term is definitely more familiar, more mainstream in the left, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And more associated with the left. Also, that being said, I feel like identity politics plays a really big role in Malaysian elections as well. Yeah, for sure. Not just, yeah, it's not just, we don't have to look so far to the yeah. bleep bleep that's going on in the States. <laughs> Censored myself so you guys don't have to. But, um, yeah, we can just look at like, just look at, the elections that happened here in 2018, you know, or whatever's happening now. The elections it's, of 2018 were kind of a defeat of the identity politics, which had always been practiced by, and had been practiced more prominently in the in recent years by... Amno. Uh, by Amno, by BN. Yeah, but which had been adopted by PAS. Right. I mean, yeah, okay. I see that. I see that. Um, but also, yeah, the, the opposition... The, do we still call them the opposition party? Um, the opposition in Malaysia at, in 2018 was definitely like uh, advocating for more like communal identity 
things. But I just mean in the general discourse around politics in Malaysia, yeah. it's so heavy with identity politics. You know, the fact that lots of people are so worried about like DAP as a party because they're Chinese. <laughs> because they are Chinese majority or Chinese dominant. That's all also identity politics. Yes, I agree. Yeah. I mean, even the opposition, like they try to appeal to that kind of, uh, they use identity politics as well in, the, you know, uh, Mahathir's party. It was basically to fill this hole on the opposition yes. side, which did not uh, satisfy the identity politics dynamic where you need to have a Malay party defending Malay rights mm. and none of the yeah. parties were Malay, yeah, exactly. uh, were, were Malay nationalists. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, if you go, let's follow Mahathir further back. He's always played a game of identity politics, right? Yeah. The um, His accusations towards Anwar of like sodomy and stuff, identity politics against the LGBT community, right? He capitalized on that um, to like catalyze the nation to be against this guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm- and if you, sorry, and if you go again with Mahathir in like, don't know what year, 1998, his whole thing about like Asian values versus westernization, that whole like family values, filial piety, yeah, like your sources, even yeah. 2008. But all that is identity politics as well. Yeah. And that he's in Malaysian, in any politics, but for our context, Malaysian politics. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. soaked in, with identity politics. Way, I'm trying to just think, right? Now, if, with all the examples you just included, and if the, if the focus or the, it's more, it was somewhat weaponized, depending on how you view it and from which side. It was weaponized to a particular degree to create a particular image to appeal to a certain demographic identity, yeah. etc. In the context of how Mahathir is always strives for Malay rights, yeah. he's appealing to the majority of the country and ultimately would actually be the most significant in any sort of election or uh, remaining of power. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so is that building upon that, right? If we continue to actually make sure that all sorts of identities are included. Is it effectively, or if that's the core focus, will that actually make us better in implementing or creating better policies for actual progress? And especially with the, with the notion of intersectionality, right? Mm. How you slice it, and especially yeah. with, with different individuals, making sure that these whatever lenses or slices that are incorporated to represent an individual, if all of those needs need to be met, can yeah. you actually create proper, effective policies? Are you just going to have a back and forth where maybe uh, there's an error in time, maybe for yeah. five years it works, may not work, and then you reject, you pivot back, you know? Yeah, I, th- I think that this, uh, yeah, this is something that we wanted to talk about as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Teva sort of mentioned this, all these Venn diagrams, right? But mm-hmm. you know, some who are more uh, vocal about it will say that this is higher. You're creating these hierarchies of victimhood where uh, certain uh, you, uh, women are oppressed and uh, minority women are oppressed more. And then uh, uh, transgender women are oppressed. Transgender minority women are oppressed more than minority women. And then you just keep on, and and so like the surely there's a fear, right? That you know in, in programming that like you have this this concept called a recursive function where 
you you feed in some data and then it gives you an output and then you feed that output back into the same function again and again and again but you can't do it forever you need to have a base case where you say okay this is the this is where we have to stop because there's no such thing as infinity right and so what is the base case for this intersectionality and identity politics how are you do you slice it all the way until you reach the individual level because you can always find within any group right yeah differences between the outcomes in that group in a group of three people one person be better off than the other two right so you can technically keep on slicing it uh, thinner and thinner and thinner but is there a place where you have to say stop yeah oh so a very good question man like how intersectional can you be yeah, <laughs> yeah, until yeah. to the point where it's the, just the individual is counterproductive yeah individual yeah that how bamba asked the question and then you didn't tell about just like looked directly at me and I was just like uh <laughs> so I guess you guys are not thinking this question <laughs> okay <laughs> um I don't think I understand what you said but I don't think we can understand it in terms of like that based output model because it, it is a tough question it is a tough question but at the end of the day what I assume that all of us would like to see in society is that everyone is treated fairly and has equal opportunities right yes mm. yes so that would be your base output figure so the base case <laughs> base case yeah the base case once and i again it's difficult to measure right but mm. right now we can see that there's blatant discrimination and oppression of certain right yeah yeah like like you said trans women or if you want to talk about like the indigenous community and this is also because you know it's also because of their access to resources access yeah. to infrastructure like people in sabah and the infrastructure is way way worse than we have it here in kl and selangor right mm-hmm. yeah so looking at all that stuff we have a really really long way to go but it needs to be done we can't just stop when it's convenient Yeah. Right? We'll when if and when everyone in Malaysia has those equal opportunities and is fairly treated, I guess that that's when would be base case. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it it seems very idealistic to say that. I yeah, recognize I mean, that. Yeah, I understand what you what is saying lah, but I think that is why Yeah, I in an ideal world you work from the bottom up. I don't know. Tevas looks like he's got something to say. <laughs> oh yeah, say Tevas, spit it out. No, no. Why? Why is it that we're not skipping steps? What? Why is it that we're going from class K, then we take another smaller one, okay, then we take another smaller one, okay, and then boils all the way down to the individual. I mean, why is it that we cannot skip all the steps and come back, come to the individual itself straight away? Is my question like? Yeah, would you say that ideally we address inequality of opportunity at an individual level huh. rather than on the basis of groups? I just don't see how that's possible. Like, like <laughs> describe it to me, Teva. That process. I, I no, I don't know. I I I don't I don't. I we mean, we have I'm, a lot of rights. We, I mean, most of our rights are at the individual level, right? Like, you have an individual right to vote. You have an individual right to life, liberty, and all these, all, all these things. You have an individual right to freedom of expression, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, and and so we we have been able to address rights at at the individual level. Have I we, don't think so. That 
I think that individual level of rights has come from group level advocacy, if you know what I mean. So right now, just going to say it, I was racially discriminated at my old job. Okay. Yeah. Um, like by high level management as well. It happened. But if I took Expose that case to after. like, sorry? Expose only. Just tell who is it. What, what is it? Cannot, it got into a legal thing. So really cannot say it. Mm. But yeah. So if I take that mm. to whatever um, cabinet uh, minister mm. and I say, I have... I was discriminated against, like, you know, what are the rights? I shouldn't have, you know, stuff like that. They're not going to take it seriously because it's one voice. It's one person. They're yeah. like, I don't know, like, I don't know the population of Malaysia, like 30 million people or something here, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what needs to happen is that, you know, I look for people who have also faced racial discrimination and then we become a collective voice. And then we take it and we say, um, you know, we have all had these very similar experiences across the board with like, because me and my employers now are like individual versus individual, right? Yeah. But we need to say, we need to show a pattern of it. How many individuals have been versus many other individuals, right? Yeah. I, yeah. And then that's when people take it seriously. That's when there's real like policy change. And then there's a person, an individual who has a right now because of that advocacy. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I, I understand what you mean and I don't object to that per se. Like, <laughs> you need these groups to advocate on your on your behalf, right? Because most individuals don't have the power, don't have the voice. But what you are trying to do is gain access to rights which everybody should have. Yeah. Right? That's what, that, that, the, the case, your case which you are describing, that is what you are trying to do, right? That is, that, that is, uh, that is different from uh, that is different from uh, how do I put this? Okay, for example, uh, for example, saying like uh, admissions in schools are unequal, yeah, uh, or admissions in universities are unequal, and uh, therefore this particular group needs a quota or a certain number, which is exactly what we did here, right? Like yeah. uh, there was a, I think there was an Indian quota or non-Malay quota for uh, there's a Malay quota in matriculation in Malaysia. Right, and there's so, a Malay, Chinese, and Indian quota yeah. for matriculation. So, so what I'm talking about is not so much a negative discrimination, but this kind of positive dis- discrimination. Or, uh, for example, uh, uh, quotas for women on boards of companies. Yeah. There's another example. Not so much practice here. I think I don't think that there's yeah. a law here, but like this, <laughs> like Germany and all that, you do have. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, you are you are advocating for additional rights based on membership in a group, yeah. right? And in that case, it is, then, then that's where this hierarchy of victimhood like, could really come into play. Lah. Because if you have a quota for this group, then surely you need another quota for another group and another group and another group, right? Because they have all yeah. been be historically ending, oppressed. Right? And, and that's the rabbit hole that I think, I yeah. find that kind of scary. Lah. Like if this country, right, we only have quotas for one, uh, for Bumiputra, mm. right? Can you and it's already such a messy, inefficient, yeah. in, uh, uncompetitive system, right? Yeah. Economically and politically. Can you imagine if we had quotas for every single race? Yeah. Like, can you imagine the kind of mess that we would be in, and like how many different groups would yeah. be advocating? We are such a diverse country, right? In East Malaysia, you have so many different races. Actually, not just Malay, Indian, and Chinese. If each yeah. of us demands a quota, 
Yeah. You're making the problem that, worse. That, that, is, that becomes a total that that can end up with a total uh, breakdown and and segregation of society, in my view. Yeah. Mm, I I see what you mean, but the reason the reason I understand these quotas exist, and it's also they exist also because even though that there are like policies that might protect an individual. Even though the policies that might protect an individual, what we don't see is that there are biases that we are raised with, right? That we are conditioned to accept as an individual in a society, right? And right. we cannot quantify these. It's and especially in like the kind of uh, economic system that we live in, right? Which is uh, the global economy is very merit based, and if you have the uh, and and when you're introducing quotas, it is. Uh, It is acting against meritocracy, uh, yeah. in a certain way, and and so you mm. you won't be able to compete with the rest of the world as well, right? So I I I see that this positive discrimination in favor of particular groups, yeah, that's the issue. Uh, I think okay, valid points, but this argument about like affirmative action and meritocracy is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, is like. Is one that's been discussed for like a long time, right? But it's also it also exists because of what we cannot see, right? What we can see is like, for example, the arguments against positive discrimination, as you said, or affirmative action, um, um, is you know on paper this person has is has just just has more merit, you know, they have more education, they have more experience. Um, as compared to someone from a marginalized racial group, right? So why should we hire this person from a marginalized racial group? So that's what we can see. But what we can't see is the biases that affect this person in the racial group who has had to work twice as hard as the as the let's just say white person. You know what I mean? What we don't see is that. What we don't see is how his qualifications in the like. I, This example is very blur, but basically, in the employer's head, how his like preconceived notions and preconceived biases are already disadvantaging the marginalized person, the racially marginalized person. Do you get what I mean? That's why these quotas exist, not to like. Mm-hmm. It's just a way, a step to dismantle. Institutionalized discrimination. Yes, but Because, do you see the threat yeah. of the? Do you see the threat of the the fact that you the, like what we like what we're saying? These hierarchies of of different oppressed groups, right? Hierarchies of oppression that this can just multiply and multiply and multiply if you give like full full throttle to it, right? Mm. Do you think? Do you think that that is a risk? Hypothetically, yes, but I don't think that's a risk that'll ever truly be a threat. Because, firstly, that's not the only strategy to achieve an equitable society, right? It quotas is just like one part of it. There's lots of other stuff happening as well. And ideally, we are all working towards a, a, a society where it's not about there's quotas for everyone. One percent of this community, one percent of this community, like equally divided quotas. That's not what we're working towards. We're working towards a society where quotas are not needed. Quotas are so, not needed. To create the this diverse, yeah, it's just that people will be 
we're working towards a society where people are valued exactly that based on their merit and not discriminated against because of their identity but that's not the case right now you know what i mean so while what you're saying i think is a hypothetical failure of the quota system etc it's not something that will actually become a reality mm what do you think this, is it, is it possible that it can become a reality no i mean obviously it, i think obviously it can become a reality but um i feel okay so so what you're trying to say hana from this is right um i um hypothetically speaking this would cause a failure at one point la right and before we get there we introduce these quota systems to try and mitigate that issue correct no what i'm saying is there is a problem and one way that we are trying to solve it is by putting in quotas okay to achieve like let's say equal representation right hmm. of whoever yeah right and i'm saying yes the quota thing for example cuz like i said that's only one very specific example of the the larger picture of fighting racial discrimination or gender discrimination or discrimination in general i'm saying it will never get to that extent of having so many quotas kind of thing okay. because hopefully before that happens there will just be more effective policies more effective uh, awareness and changing of mindsets that slowly the quotas will have to die away because they won't be needed okay you know what i mean yeah, yeah. but for now <clears throat> those quotas are very important especially in for example for asian people southeast asian people that are going to uh european countries for education right because education systems over there are, are valued more right whether or not they are actually worth more they are valued more right hmm. and in order for non european people to have a chance to access that kind of thing quota systems need to be in place because of discrimination because of you know cultural differences that kind of stuff and that and then they have access to it they can bring it back there's just more sharing of knowledge more sharing of resources and then that all works towards better society yeah well you know that i think that is a good example uh of uh academic institutions like in the west right and this is where uh a lot of people say that um that affirmative action works yeah. against uh asians like if you talk about people coming from asia right but asian americans in the in the states it's a ongoing issue there right yeah. where uh some studies uh, a few studies do sh- uh, show that admissions of asians to ivy league or top tier institutions would be higher if race was not considered in admissions or if it was totally colorblind if it was purely based on merits yeah. right and yeah. academic achievement and like you can see the the government is suing uh harvard uh uh and yale i think and uh, asian american groups are also suing because uh, asian americans actually are overrepresented in in uh, academia in uh, yeah. in universities in in america mm-hmm. right and so but asian americans have experienced oppression Yeah. in america right the japanese internment camps during uh, world war 2 they were interned during world war 2 they had laws which prohibited uh, yellow skin people from from migrating to the united states they were forced to segregate you know chinatowns and things like that yeah 
it turns out that their outcomes are, are much better than other minorities, right? Their their income level is even better than than whites in the in America. But because of that, uh, there, there's discrimination against them in uh, college admissions. So this, I think, is a good example of how, like, first of all, your outcome is not determined purely by the oppression which your community experience. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And and secondly, like, uh, yeah, I think I think that's the 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 major point. And and secondly, how these uh identitarian policies, affirmative action being one of them, can can result in I injustice against the the very groups which we supposed to protect. to protect. Yeah, you see, um, um, you see, from your example itself, Reverend, but I I don't know, I don't know whether it's clear or not, lah. But from my perspective, at least, you can see how a change from the bottom up. Mm. Would mean so much more than the cha- a change from top down, right? right? So like advocating advocating these issues, uh, advocating this and standing standing by these issues, and like you know, um, getting people to change their mindsets, yeah, ideology on these issues. Yeah, I mean, you can see that the success rate of doing that is far better than changing policy itself. Which, I mean, why why is it why is it that we're pushing why we why is it that we're pushing so much to change the policy itself when we should be, we should be looking at the grassroots level and like seeing these people and changing their perspective from then and there itself, instead of going up there from from changing policy to fit into people's uh, different people's opinions and based yeah. on discrimination and things like that. Yeah, I I don't know. I think, no, Teva, you have a very good point, and this is the first. This is the second time you're mentioning actually bottom bottom up versus top down change, right? Yeah. But yeah, and you have a very good point about you know, changing mindsets at a grassroots level. Mm. That is very important. But to a certain extent, I don't disagree with you. I do agree with you. But I say both of these things need to happen concurrently. Okay. Because no matter how much you empower someone to be confident and believe in themselves kind of thing, they'll hit a ceiling because, you know, of some lack of clear policy. Mm if you understand what I mean, you know? So you can empower someone to, let's say, um, a trans woman, you can empower her to, you know, not let, to be herself, for example, you know, don't let societal opinions affect how she views herself, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. But then at the end of the day, when she's going to fill out a form, a legal form, she cannot change her identity. Yeah. She has to, you know, write down her uh, birth name and her birth uh, gender on the form you know because yeah. there's no top level change so those things need to you need to like meet in the middle uh, kind of thing mm. and to like build on like Bamba's point I see it I see what you're saying about like the Asian Americans and stuff but that's the thing right we're all working towards like creating equal opportunities mm. and maybe right now that system is feeling Asian Americans like you said so they need to change the system. It's not It's not a question about doing away with affirmative action policies, but to see how maybe they can change it to be more inclusive of Asian Americans as well, right? The way I see it, and like, again, when I engage with stuff like this, I don't often think of it in like American context. And that's because I think about it from my worldview, my positionality as a Malaysian girl, as a Southeast Asian girl. Um, and I, I'm pro affirmative action policies because I see people in 
my university, for example, who wouldn't have had the opportunities they had if not for affirmative action policies, like refugees who don't have proper access to education because of their like, because they're stateless, because they're undocumented, because of aff- affirmative action policies, they're given the chance to access knowledge, you know, and to build a better future for themselves. It, it, mm. It's a separate conversation whether the one or two that benefit from this are going to help the entire community, you know, but it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I have less of a problem with uh, affirmative action which is based on need yeah. like a, a yeah. refugee by definition, uh, a definition yeah, a yeah 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 a refugee has, has is uh, has minimal or no income maybe not allowed to work even in the country in which they're residing stateless yeah. uh, rights yeah. not guaranteed by the government uh there's a need uh, they they have needs which which can be helped by affirmative action. Whether or not affirmative action is the way to go about helping them, that is a different question, lah. Yeah. But I but I do think that affirmative action for the whole group. So for example, right? Uh, we have a quota in Malaysia for Bumiputra ownership of public companies. Yeah. Right. When you have an IPO in Malaysia, I believe thirty percent. I'm not sure of the quota itself. Thirty percent must go to. Uh, Bumiputra Bumi stockholders, right? Yeah. Yeah. But do Bumiputra actually need that, or do ordinary Bumiputra benefit from that? They don't mm. do that because the ones who who hold the stock are the top sliver of one percent, right? Yeah. Uh, same thing with quotas for for women boards of companies, right? Yeah. The the women would be appointed to these boards. Yeah. Are the top sliver of the top. 0.1% even even a smaller uh, subset right yeah. and 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 i think that the reason for that is simply that oh another another great example is mara scholarships yeah. mara scholarships to go overseas like uh, anybody can apply for it based on the fact that they are they are booming putra whether or not uh, they could afford to go overseas themselves i mean we we all know right that there are people who can afford it but they they have scholarship yeah. through this system which yeah. does not consider needs that whole article, yeah. remember the how you know house yeah. housing, um, is cheaper for them, right? Yeah. By a certain percentage, who yeah. benefits from that? Um, what's that other thing where um? Yeah. Article one five three. one five three. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, yeah. That that's the problem I have with this type of affirmative action, which is for groups without considering that that uh, individuals within the group yeah. are better off or worse off uh, than others. Sounds to me like Vamba is making a strong case for intersectional understanding of these policies no, but it is not about uh, it's not about uh, intersectionality it's the differences between individuals yeah is the differences between somebody can have you know uh, all the same characteristics two people can be exactly the, the same look the same have the same background but they can have totally different outcomes yep they can have totally different situations in life right and you have yeah. to evaluate uh, the, the individual situation as opposed to just the boxes that they have checked off to determine how much help they need. Mm. Yes. I would still I still argue that your points that you brought up just now were intersectional points, to be honest, because like the women and boards thing, that's an economic privilege they have. And there are also biases attached to that. We've talked a lot about like social biases, but there are economic biases as well. And to your point, I can't say much about it except that you have a valid point. Um, that certain people have it better, so the policy doesn't really help. It only benefits 
a small percentage of the community. But yeah. my point is we're just not at a progressive enough place where we can do that, like understand those individual differences. So for now, it's a step in the right direction. And to remove those policies would be to regress. Yeah. But we have to have these policies in place, which is what we keep better. I don't know, maybe yeah. we can, yeah. Maybe we can we can circle back to affirmative action more when we're talking about uh, identity politics in Malaysia, right? Which is the 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 last uh, part of it. Mm. Um, uh, let's let's move on to a different area, which is uh, freedom of expression and freedom of thought. Yeah. So, uh, this this is a problem with uh, I, which I see with identity politics both here and in the West, where uh, a lot of people expect you to have certain opinions politically or you know socially uh, based on your membership in the group so like the example i gave at the beginning was about uh, biden saying that you are not black if you if you don't vote for him but here a good example would be um the issue between uh Syed Sadiq and Zakir Naik where Syed Sadiq condemns Zakir Naik for being bigoted towards non-malays mm. and the perceived outrage amongst the malay community was so strong that two days later that a few days later Syed Sadiq has to have uh, lunch with him and and tell Malaysians to forgive him and move on, right? So that is a so that's an example of where this identity politics I believe has has led to group think becoming very entrenched, where you're expected to have certain opinions based on your your membership in this group or your this uh, immutable characteristic that you have, like Your identity. Uh, do you see that as a problem with identity politics? You, I mean, all of you, lah. When within a certain uh, group, to have to be a member of that group in itself, you need to hold to certain um, opinions, certain characteristics, and that in itself is already impinging on freedom of speech. I mean, and freedom of thought. That individual, point. yeah. And uh, I think I think it becomes even worse when it becomes entrenched in the in the in the legal system. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. like our constitution also. Uh, defines being Malay as somebody who practices Malay customs, speaks Malay, yes, is a is a Muslim, right? You're defining what? How to become prime minister? Let's not go there, There's a whole But yeah, uh, yeah, and so it's defining, and actually, all these things are choices, right? There's, it's not innate yeah. biologically to being Malay that. You must speak Malay. That you must practice Malay customs. You're absolutely right. You yeah. must be Muslim. Uh, like that. That is uh up to that is your your choices in life, right? Hannah, have you ruminated enough? How have you? I ruminated, and then there was like stuff coming at me, and I was like, oh my god, oh my god, too much information. <laughs> um, but no, <laughs> I can see you didn't laughing at me. <laughs> um, no, it's just I understand where you guys are coming from, and it's like, yeah, in a way. If you take any group and you look at the group and then you look at the smaller groups within that group, of course, there's going to be differences of opinion, right? Yeah. But that's not a bad thing also. Mm. It's, yeah, you know, that women that don't identify as feminists and stuff, that's also fine, you know? It's just, we're all working towards, well, not all of us, some of us are working against it, but the goal, hopefully, is to have a society that is inclusive of anyone. You know, women who are feminists, women who are not feminists, uh, Malays who are fluent in Malay, Malays who are not fluent in Malay. 
you know, regardless of all those nuances, right? right? Which is just, it's stressful to think how we're going to get there because we are nowhere near there. Yeah, honestly, it sounds like some utopia. That, like, no, I mean, yeah. Do you think that there is a tendency amongst in the identity politics in within identity politics there is though a tendency to ascribe opinions to people based on the fact that they are part of a group or that I they are hmm. i don't think that's a problem within identity politics that's more talking about like stereotypes right when people belong to a certain group they are assigned as like connotation expected, expected to have yeah a certain opinions this that do you think that that is a problem? So expected to have certain opinions. I yeah. don't personally think that's a problem. You don't? It, it, well, it's definitely a problem here. Wouldn't you agree? Like you're expected to have certain opinions uh, if, you are, if you are Malay, for example. Uh, uh, just an example, you will never hear like a Malay politician like opposition or on the government side say that Malays don't have special rights or shouldn't have special rights. Is that it is accepted as uh given that you as a Malay you have to uh hold this view. No. Or you know, a Malay cannot be openly uh I'm sure you I'm sure you know Malays who don't hold that view. I know I know Malays who don't hold that view. But, but if you're talking about politicians in public life in general, yeah, politicians included, yeah. That's nothing to do... That Yeah, okay. That is very much to do with identity politics. But it's just because they're appealing to voters. It's but not because they're expected to have this opinion. It's because that they know if they espouse this kind of opinion, it's going to get them votes. It's going to get them power. Mm. It's yeah, not that because they are a Malay politician, they have to subscribe to this belief. They choose to subscribe to that belief because they know that that's what's going to get them to win the election. Yeah, I think I think we are describing the same thing, the same problem, lah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is like, which is uh one of the main things that I I I object to, lah, with with identity politics. That whether or not you you either expect to have it based on your membership in the group by the other members of that group, or if you want to appeal to members of that group, you have yeah, to espouse that view. Yeah, yeah. That that it is uh is two sides of the same coin, lah. I, I I think, and. and I'm confused by that, Bamba, because what it sounds like you are like disapproving of is that I don't know. Help me understand it, okay? What it sounds like to me is that like it shouldn't be that they have to say these things, right? Yes. Yeah, but they have to say these things because there's discrimination. So your real problem is with the fact that inequality exists in society. I'm not really talking about discrimination. I'm talking about uh, pol- uh, political o- opinions, lah. Like, uh, maybe talking about Malay rights is not the only the best example. For example, uh, okay, the Israel Palestine issue, right? Okay. Every politician, every uh, Muslim politician in this country mm. is expected to to be vocal in favor of Palestine, right? Mm. Right. Uh, if uh, is it uh, it is unthinkable. For a, a Malay or Muslim politician in this country, to say some to to say something to the contrary, yeah, right, and that is an example of a political opinion yeah. which they are essentially forced to have based on the fact that they are Muslim and living in a Muslim country. There is no 
one who espouses a differing view in public life. Uh, I'm talking about in public life. In in private, uh, people uh, it's less risky, right? But in public life, th- that is the uh, imposed on you, right? This I wouldn't really- say it's imposed on you because you and that person is ent- any politician is entitled to have his his or her opinion on the issue, right? His like yeah. as if God female wants. <laughs> Jk. Anyway, <laughs> um, oh God, love. They are entitled to have his or her opinion. Okay, yeah. no one is forcing them to have their opinion. What they want, if they wanted to make, you know, a statement about. If they are passionate about that opinion and they want to make a statement about it, they could, right? But what they want is to be in power. And when they want to be in power, all they want to do is say stuff that appeases the public, right? Which is like, I don't think it's like unfair for them to do that. They're doing it because they want to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not an expectation of them. Yeah. Doing it because it serves their own interests. Yeah, I mean, uh, th- th- there's definitely a way of looking power dynamic that yeah. is based on a particular identity. They need to appease to a particular identity which is inherently supposed to have these values already. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I see that. But, like, okay, that's... You're not legally being forced, but the pressure is, is, is so great. Within- is it? Yes. Can you imagine somebody I mean, saying, "Yeah, you'd be insane." They could. I mean, their their life would be at risk. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I understand what you're saying. I just don't think it's. I think it's purely self serving. The interest. I don't think they have a second thought about it, and I like. I think we have bigger problems to worry about than like, the feelings of the politicians about being able to express their opinions to public. You know what I mean? But they but, have to be able to, otherwise we are not able to have like a productive discourse, right? If there, there are certain things that uh, are seen as beyond the pale because you're, right? I mean. But that's uh, the thing, yeah, the right? Fact, yes, the public fact. is open to different discourse. It is open to different discourse. Maybe you were talking about maybe like the Palestinian-Israel issue. Yeah. There are people in the public who want to hear differing opinions, Right. But maybe not the majority. And if the politician wanted to speak on it, he could. But he ha- obviously there there are risks to him, right? But if you're talking about like another issue, give me another issue. Give me another issue. Um, you, uh, Islam and the state religion. So this is uh something which uh past prime ministers have said that Malaysia is a secular country, right? Yeah. And a lot of and North- Malaysia is, I think, in writing should be right is technically a secular country. Well, our constitution says that Islam is the official religion, but it's not called as an Islamic country. Yeah. But what I really want to mention is that non-Malays, uh, non-Malay politicians, will frequently say that Mal- Malaysia is should be a secular country and is or is a secular country, mm-hmm. and even Malay politicians until thirty years ago. People like uh, Tunku Abdul Rahman, Tun Hussein on, all of them said that Malaysia is a secular country. But now, all Malay politicians, whether from the government or from the opposition, will definitely say if you ask them that Malaysia is an Islamic country, they will end on like uh, rights for non-Malays should be guaranteed yeah. and so on. Uh, but 
all of them without fail yeah, the most definitely will say that Malaysia is an Islamic country and that that is an opinion which yeah uh, okay okay I think I see yeah. what you're saying now okay let me see if I can turn this shit around okay I think it's like what Teva was talking about just now about bottom up versus top down change and understanding the Malaysian political scene we don't have opposing camps like in the US for example there's a very clear like it's left versus right kind of thing right but in Malaysia when you're talking about that kind of like social policies uh stuff like that it's very much like right versus right like far right versus uh, so far right yeah you know? i mean our our political conflict is is uh communitarian it's not ideological uh, right it's not ideological right? it's uh yeah Yeah, but you see you see my point right yeah, yeah. it's that of course no one can argue for something that's like Malaysia is a secular country because that's not that's just not where the public is at right now do you know what i mean it's like if you want to talk about like lgbt issues right for example maybe if you're looking at a country where there are more like left and right kind of ideologies um it'll be like we need to make laws that um that are actively against the discrimination of the lgbt community versus we don't need to do that you know it's a choice you know it's all that you we are familiar with this rhetoric right mm-hmm. but we cannot have that in malaysia right now because societal opinions are not there yet right yeah so, and the problem i am describing is group think uh, on a societal level there is a group thing yeah so i like i just understood what you were saying yeah. so that's what i'm saying it's what teva was saying earlier about bottom up versus top down change yeah there are communities that are working to like change public perceptions mm-hmm. right there are people there's a growing like understanding of issues in a different way yeah. so the more that happens the more politics also can shift into you know having uh less upon diverse homogenous opinions on things but right now it serves it doesn't serve political interest to have super diverse super oppositional messaging because they won't get votes and if they don't get votes they can't make change hmm but but so it's uh, it's yeah. a journey that needs to happen together yeah yeah i mean i i i see what you're saying lah but on on certain issues and uh, this uh, islamic state issue is one of them right where the the political consensus has shifted right mm-hmm. over time yeah. and it has come about that shift comes about because of pandering by the 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 politicians right mm-hmm. malaysia was much more moderate country until like the 70s or 80s mm. uh and then like you had the wave of like islamic revolution in iran and then they sort of have uh, adopted that agenda here mm. and then and that's how over the the 80s uh, the the leadership began to use more and more islamic rhetoric even past itself right the islamic party they they were moderate up until that point and then they they sort of embraced that uh sentiment more and more and that is how they created this this shift in the mindset that's now become universal so like uh and, and that is I, and that is uh, to me i think that that's a practice of identity politics where you are uh, catering to a particular part of that uh identity you are catering to you are you are pandering to a particular identity and and telling them that they should have 
certain views because they are a member of this group. That happened from the top down, not from the bottom up. And it changed. It's not so much that society was bigoted. It's that the is that this uh sentiment came from above. Do, do, do you see what I mean? It's not so much that society is not at a place where it can change. Yeah. Is that the change was already created uh, by use of this these tactics of identity politics, lah. The, the same thing also can be said about uh this entrenchment of special Malay uh or Bumiputra rights. So right, a lot of these things did not exist at independence. Yeah, a lot of society did not want. Uh, did, was not pushing for these these uh, special programs to exist at independence, but after after May 13, after 1970, it became an electoral tactic to use identity politics to pander to a particular community, yeah. and then uh, create a universal uh, support in that group for particular policies. That's what happened in in Malaysia, right? Yeah. That's how BN stayed in power for for more than 50, 60 years. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that that's where I see identity politics and group thing coming together to create a very bad outcome. I agree with you. I agree with you. I <laughs> I didn't mean to seem like I didn't agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> But no, you're right. But yeah. that's like the way I was saying it earlier. Also, is how when I was saying how certain people can use identity politics to preserve their rights and oppress other rights. Yeah. This is the same. It's the same concept. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because they are using identity politics to not make space for diversity. Mm. Mm. Yeah. We've got a long way to go, lah. Okay. Uh, like, uh, do you, shall we change tack a bit? I want to hear like what uh, you didn't ever think so about, you know, affirmative action, all these policies which flow from identity politics. How how ah. Uh, Is is there a genuine difference between what's being done here and how and identity politics elsewhere? Is there a difference in practicality? I don't see a lot of difference. Just like you, right? Mm. I in the context is different for sure, but and also, but what it aims to achieve and the problems that comes with it is the same. Mm-hmm. Again, whatever whether you're benefiting, uh, for example. First, the majority group, which experienced more um, less economic prosperity compared to to the West in America's context, where the minority groups um, need more affirmative action to rise or be in the same playing field. Your that level of inequality that with these quotas that are in place will widen, just like you said, or like what Hannah was saying, that. The the policies which were meant to uplift the poor Malays only end up benefiting the richer Malays. The rich just get richer, while the the poor may experience some level of uplift, but there's nowhere close to what they were meant to achieve in the first place. Mm-hmm. And right. the indigenous people are just left out of the equation. <laughs> exactly. So if because it it's all stemming down to different groups mm. and identities, right, and which formulates or gives the basis for policy. Is a is a huge problem here. Yeah, yeah, policy. Yeah, I agree, and I think also it's because of like what we discussed earlier. It's like how we're assuming that a very broad category of race are all economically disprivileged, right? But mm-hmm. if we want to make, if we want to give way for economic uh, affirmative action, then why don't we look at it from you qualify for that quota? By meeting an economic band like the B40 community, for example, 
yeah. why is it a racial thing that we're trying to translate into economic privilege so yeah so we agree la. <laughs> yeah we are, we agree nobody said we don't agree <laughs> i'm retweeting your day and you and teva <laughs> no that's why i'm what i'm saying that's why i'm saying uh we do not need to look at your group identity membership in order to determine how much help you need right. we you need to look at what you actually need as an individual what you your economic situation is what we need to consider rather than whether you are bumiputra malay indian chinese white black whatever you are under the sun right because what because you you are trying to help someone because they are disadvantaged you need to determine what that disadvantage is first the level of disadvantage is before you can decide how much help they need right otherwise you are going to you are otherwise you are persistently going to end up in a cycle where people who don't need the help people who are well off already are benefiting just because they are members of the group and and also just as a result of having access to more economic political power right yeah, yeah. they will be able to to siphon off more of the benefits to themselves yeah. it yeah is natural natural yeah. product the system. i mean the manual no. uh, handouts like a bsh and yeah. ppn Yeah, these are based on your economic. But before that, yeah, I mean, yeah, and yeah, even yeah. until now, you have things like uh, Amanah Saham, yeah, uh, Berhad. Yeah. Okay. But, Bamba, you're still talking about identity politics yeah. in the sense that um, I, it's not an individual need. You're still looking at a group need, which is certain people that are below the poverty line, for example, they need to leverage on that aspect of their identity their economic privilege that part to gain rights so it's still identity politics it's just not a racial like uh, ident- identifier or a gender I, identifier it's an economic identifier which is still very much part of their identity your status in society economic and social is part of your identity yeah but i mean the conversation about identity politics anywhere around the world is not uh, is not about class right is not uh, class is not really part of that discussion as much as uh, they've moved from class to uh, other immutable unchanging uh, generally unchanging characteristics yep. like race gender and so on most of the conversation centers around that right here and that the conversation does not center around class it centers around uh, even if it does uh, come to class it is that oh uh, we are trapped in the in the lower in a, in the low income class because we are a member of this group right so the, 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 so so what i'm saying is really the point i'm trying to get to is that the identity politics itself was not is not necessary is not a necessary lens in order to in order to craft policies to help these people who are disadvantaged you can you can have a type of politics which is that to help uh disadvantage people individuals without having to take uh identity into the equation so how so and, then, and i'm saying that that would be more effective okay uh, example in malaysia in here right now we have okay in the past we have a uh, national economic policy which is meant to increase uh, ownership of the economy by bumiputra mm. and mm. not very effective our growth stagnated and so on that is based on uh race yeah. totally based on race and like we said like advantage the rich more than the poor uh and probably exacerbated inequality within the group now you have a uh, handout program right actually started with BR1M yeah continued with the bantuan sarai hidup now bantuan penjana negara whatever purely based income yeah i would yeah. favor this kind of uh, welfare as opposed to that kind 
because this one is based on whether or not you you belong to a B40 group irrespective of whether you're Malay, Indian or Chinese and yeah. it can genuinely, uh, genuinely help all people who need the help rather than just indiscriminately but, helping someone because they belong to a group which they didn't even choose you were born into this group but dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but yes I agree with you there right but aside from that financial aspect of it there are still groups that need to leverage on identity politics to fight against biases that are not so measurable in terms of income like women who are discriminated against in many different ways in society violence against women you know women in political positions girls in sports all these things that are less measurable than income and there's the only way to be able to do that is through so okay i think that we <laughs> we had sort of rounded out the discussion and then like sort of cycle <laughs> back to where we started so kesimpulannya kita perlu identity politics sometimes and sometimes we cannot always use identity politics we have to look at what we what the goals are and like the context right mm. which is what we all of us said in the beginning right there has to be some sort of middle ground well uh not a zero sum game yeah i think that i think that politics needs to seek or aspire to get beyond identity as opposed to entrenching uh identity and then as entrenching uh privileges and and <laughs> uh based on identity lah but yeah maybe we maybe it's a good time to sum up like each of us when how we think identity politics helps or hinders human progress as we have defined it at the start maybe you can i think um based on what we've been discussing right it seems like uh, identity <laughs> politics <laughs> it seems like identity politics is something that is uh required in the short term but in the long term we are looking to i mean dismantle the entire thing and make it so that everybody is equal right not but in the short term for some reason not for some reason obviously for good reason i think hana has brought up some good good reasons to why we need it but but again like you see even with even with what she said at the end of it the end of all of this the point was to get to a point where we don't discriminate anything or anyone based on no reason at all everything everything becomes equal right it seems like from what we've been discussing a short term solution to a problem whether the short term solution plays out to the extent of what they want what people want or what people want what everybody thinks it would play out to that's a different story altogether we can't we can't use i mean we can't be hypothetical here lah we can't we, we, we can't you can't see what is what this is going to bring in 20 30 years time not 30 years down the road yeah but it seems like a short term solution lah bro mm-hmm. like uh, right now this is what's happening i'm going to do this right now we'll see where what happens with it yeah. yeah i agree with deva it is something as we discussed identity politics is needed for progress but then hopefully at some point there will not be a need for identity politics anymore yeah But when society is equitable and inclusive but uh, again um this is based on the discussion but if you would ask me personally i i don't like if you keep playing this game continuously yeah if it's yeah, a yeah. hypothetical situation i honestly don't think it would bring about the changes that we want to see yeah. uh, at least 
At least that's my own mind. Personal I... opinion lah. Personal, personal opinion yeah, lah. Yeah, what is your personal opinion? Personal, lah? bro. Personal? My personal opinion is... Yeah, oh, sorry. Your name first or me first? Go ahead. <laughs> uh, my personal opinion is that exactly what I just said. <laughs> identity, identity politics is necessary uh, to achieve... It's a means to an end lah. But it does need to be... There's, it shouldn't be taken to an extreme then it's to be balanced to it and it needs to be you need to be aware of when identity politics is being becoming divisive and like teva had brought up earlier also there's a need for bottom up bottom up change as well as top down change that's my personal take on the issue yeah i i think that politics should always be seeking to move beyond identity mm. so like at the beginning right we were talking about how identity politics can can be defined as uh politics which appeals to people based on their membership of certain groups right and i don't believe that any kind of lasting change mm. whether it's in civil rights or non-discrimination uh happen when you appeal only to one particular group it happened when the when the when you made an attempt to appeal to the broad swath of society right uh like even civil rights in the united states uh, it was whites and blacks working together to to equalize the system to give them voting rights and and remove all this uh, jim crow discrimination if you look more recently like in south africa like apartheid was ended because uh, there were there were whites who and blacks who Join who hands. worked together to 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 bring down that that system right and uh we should be we should, we should be seeking always to get to a point where everybody can be recognized uh equally based uh based just on the fact of your your human nature rather than being recognized as uh a malay indian chinese and and so on and so yeah maybe identity politics uh, is inevitable in the short term uh just because that's the way things are as you said but i think that uh human progress is about moving beyond that to like uh, recognizing people as individuals and rec- and and recognizing people as having individual rights uh, rather than uh, arbitrarily forcing people into groups which they did not have a choice over mm-hmm. i don't have a choice about whether i was born indian or chinese or malay uh, why should i be treated uh, differently based on this yeah. uh, immutable characteristic i don't think that that's progress i think progress is where you have equality of opportunity for everybody irrespective of race gender religion sexuality and so on yeah okay <laughs> so, i agree i agree with that but i thought i the way i understand it it's not that identity politics is equals progress it's not that getting people to identify and fight for that that's not the marker of progress the pro- it's just a means to an end that's it's a means to progress Yeah. All right. Okay. I think that's a good place to close it lah. Yeah. <laughs> After what like two and a half hours. Yeah, I think we yeah, probably uh, have to split this episode. This is like eight. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, Sarah, yeah. Thanks for difficult coming. editing. Thanks for having me, you guys. We were glad to have you. We, I think we enjoyed this yeah, conversation. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> it was, me it too. Was me too. Good. It's yeah. always a good time with my favorite podcast. Wow. And our favorite guest, repeat guest. Repeat guest. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Hope to be a repeat guest again in the future. Definitely, no I foresee it. Yeah. <laughs>
Farmer, I foresee it. Next time we have a gender issue to talk about. <laughs> resident resident gender consultant. Gender <laughs> consultant. Wow. I've just given myself a term for TPS. Done a lot more than just being a gender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Take away the term. Give me a cooler. She has given a lot of feedback on our yeah our website. Given us quite a lot of good feedback over the months. Yeah, we've been doing this. Yeah. Uh-huh. So thank you for all of that, Hannah. Oh my God, so sweet. Thanks. Okay. That's so Wait. sweet. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So okay. I guess we'll end it off here. Okay. Um, whoever has listened to this the podcast, <laughs> thank you for listening, <laughs> and we'll see you next week. Good night. All right. Good night, everyone.